sabbatical was the plan, but I don't feel like it was fully committed. I think until I gave notice, because even the day I gave notice, I was like, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe this is a bad idea. Hello, I'm Mike, and this is Imperfect. That was a clip from today's episode with Vidamrita Singhal. After seven years in tech and product management, Vidamrita decided to take a sabbatical. In today's episode, we dig into what does that even mean? How does that look like? How do you do that if you want to do that? What are the challenges that come with that in terms of dealing with this scarcity mindset and our egos and our professional identities and just generally how to navigate the situation where you decide you're going to quit your job and take a break. We also dive into creativity and marketing in terms of publishing your own work online, dealing with the reaction to that work. Does it matter if that work goes viral? Does it matter if anyone is actually looking at that content? Do we create for ourselves? Or is it more about the validation from other people? On top of that, how can we be aware of what we call the shitty marketing ratio? How much marketing do we really have to do for our own work? Other than that, let's get on with the show. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. So I actually wanted to start with the topic of sabbaticals. That's how I first bumped into your writing. I was on LinkedIn and your post from the next chapter, your newsletter, popped up on my feed. Yeah. And it was your post about basically saying that you're going on a sabbatical and you were talking a bit about the reasons and your thoughts at that time. Maybe you can say in your words, like what led you to taking that sabbatical? How did it feel? What led you to writing about it? Sure. All of the the background. Yeah. I've been in tech for about seven years. I never intended to get into tech. It's just something I kind of fell into based on the school that I went to. It was just, you know, right next to Silicon Valley and just had access to a lot of tech opportunities. And the reason why I got into tech in the first place was, I think partially it was status and prestige driven, and partially it was driven by the ability to have a lot of impact across different industries. Like tech intersects so many different areas. I felt like I didn't need to choose. I could just learn this basic skill set and then apply both the technical leadership, entrepreneurial skills to build something of my own that was always the end goal. And five years into this tech career with, you know, product management and working at big companies and medium companies and small companies, I, I mean, I'm saying this now at the time, I, I didn't quite articulate it this way, but essentially I think I realized that I didn't want to do this anymore. Like this dream I had was not really the dream for me. And it was for a lot of different reasons, partially lifestyle related, partially I became really jaded by the actual impact that I thought tech could have versus the type of impact tech could actually have. Partially, I don't think it was really utilizing all of the skills that I have, especially from a creative standpoint. And so between years five and seven, I think I was like trying to convince myself that this was like still salvageable, that Maybe there's a new dream that I could carve without necessarily changing careers. And I got to a point where I was basically like, what am I doing? Like, I've tried so many different times and made so many different changes of working at different companies, working in different industries, working for different kinds of people, working different intensity level jobs, working jobs with different levels of scope, one where I'm like running a product team versus one where I'm more or less like an half IC, half manager, and it just never felt satisfying and it just never felt good. And it never felt like I was able to fully use my time in a way that truly energized me. And I think the best way that I observed this was every day I would wake up to go to work, I felt awful. Like it was just really, really awful. And at that point, I was like, okay, reality check something needs to change. And I just didn't know what it was for a while until I learned about sabbaticals and I read Paul Millard's book, The Pathless Path, which I talked about in my blog post. And I was like, for the first time, I was like, okay, maybe I need to think outside the box. Maybe it's not about switching jobs, which was originally my go-to whenever something feels off is like, let me just go find another tech job that seems reasonably better. And then when I read his book, I was like, this has nothing to do with the tech job, as in like just switching to another tech job. This has everything to do with just what I'm doing and how I'm spending my time and all these bigger life questions that I feel like I've avoided. So 
that's what led to the sabbatical. I identify with so much of this. But first, a really basic question. What actually is a sabbatical? What does it actually look like for you? Is it like a set amount of time that you're taking away from a nine to five job? Or like, what does it mean to you, this word? Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't think it's a basic question. I think it's actually a really interesting question. And I'm going to give my take on it, regardless of what the official definition is. I think for me, a sabbatical is basically someone intentionally saying that the way that I'm living right now is not working for me. And living could be lifestyle related, could be health related, could be career related, could be family related, like whatever ingredients of your life you are dissatisfied with. Maybe it's a combination of ingredients and saying that you need to take a hard reset in order to reassess and shift some things in your life. And for some people, a sabbatical means you want to travel the world. Like if, you know, you or anyone has read Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, that's like her sabbatical to like eat, pray, love, I guess, around the world. For some people, I think a sabbatical is really focused on one thing, like they really want to write a book or they really want to work on their health. Right. And so the sabbatical is really for that. And for some people, it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just know I need the time and I'll figure it out. So I think it can really range in a lot of different spectrums in terms of what you choose to do with your time and and how you want to structure it. But I think ultimately it's really about saying that I need time to really change something significant in my life. I also asked the question because I, I know some people who take sabbaticals in the sense of, oh, I work at this company. And I've agreed with them that I'm going to like save up all my vacation days. I'm going to take like a month or two months and that's a mini sabbatical and they're going to come back to the job. Where I was with you, I understood it's probably not that case, but more of like, no, actually I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I need to just give myself as much time as I need. You don't have like a deadline where you're like, oh, the sabbatical will end on January 25th or, or something like that. I mean, there is a little bit of a deadline from a financial perspective of this is how much <laughs> money I have saved up for it. But there isn't like a hard deadline in the sense of I need to return to like I've signed a contract that says I need to return to my job by X date or anything like that. Yeah, which I could have pursued, but I intentionally chose not to. Did you like methodically plan this out in advance? You were like, okay, I know I'm going to do this. So I'm going to bank as much money as I can and then I'll give myself or how was it for you, the process? I think the actual decision I would say I took like end of last, like around sometime this year, last year, like I was like, okay, I think this is what I want to do. But even that at first it was like, I'm going to work part time. Like I'm going to find a way to have enough money to just pay my bills. Essentially, I won't necessarily be saving money. And then I'll free up two days a week to do whatever I want. And the, the theory was that I'll be owning more of my time than I'm owning right now. And as I started thinking about that and financially planning around it, I I realized that it didn't make a lot of sense, that in some ways I was just doing what I was already doing of giving up a lot of my time to like 60% of the work week to someone else and really having to work on their schedule, especially as I started looking for part-time product manager stuff. And I also just wasn't that excited to do PM stuff, but I was forcing myself to do it just because I felt like I had to. And then I was like, wait, do I really need to do this? Does this really align with my intentions of what I'm trying to do? And I decided that it doesn't. And I wanted to take a bigger, I I really wanted to own my time fully. And so that's why I decided not to work part time. I'm still open to consulting opportunities if they come up and they're really interesting, but I'm really glad I didn't do that. And I've said no to a couple of consulting things because I actually just realized that I need to do something super, super different from product for a while. That product management, at least in the corporate sense, just isn't fulfilling to me. Even doing like the bare minimum is just really difficult for me right now. So that was one thing that I'm, that was like one change that I made as I was thinking about my sabbatical. I did do some planning in the sense of having some goals or intentions or something to work towards and having clarity on that before I started the sabbatical because 
I felt like for me, it was really important to have something to ground myself when this was the first time I, in my entire life, where I was doing something that wasn't dictated to me. Like, I've never spent a summer just like doing nothing in college or even in high school. I was always working, I was always studying for something. Like, there was always something to like some ladder to climb. And this was the first time where like I was defining the ladder. <laughs> And <laughs> I was scared. And so I was like, okay, let me have something so that when I enter this period, I'm not going to like freak out and have like a breakdown. Like I will have something. And it's okay if that something changes, but I at least want to have that something. And that also went through multiple iterations in terms of what that became, which I think is fine. And then I did do maybe a week or two before I gave notice. I think I did do a little bit of planning and like projects and I signed up for a few classes that I wanted to take that I hadn't had the opportunity to. So I did do a little bit of that planning, but honestly, a lot of that has, I'm like three months into this now and a lot of that has changed significantly since I actually started on the journey. But I'm glad that I had something to go off of, even though it wasn't perfect. I asked as well because I noticed that like when I looked back in the history of your newsletter, yeah, the very first post was about like, but this is the next chapter. I'm kind of like, I mean, I'm still working in product. I'm exploring a lot of different avenues that also bring like maybe will bring fulfillment to me. I'm trying to figure out what is the balance. I want to help people like me. I want to write more. I want to have this habit. And that was in February 2023. Yeah. And then your sabbatical post came in uh, September. September. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, what? I wonder what. I'm really curious, like, what was this process from February to September that, yeah. that led you to be like, you know what, I'm done, I'm out, I'm fully out, I need, I need some time away. Like, Yeah, you know, like, I thought a lot about it, and the t exact timing and conditions of the sabbatical took me, I would say, like, at least until April of this year to fully finalize, which is why in February I was like, I'm still in product, I'm still figuring it, because I was figuring it out. Like, sabbatical was the plan, but I don't feel like it was fully committed, I think until I gave notice, because even the day I gave notice, I was like, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> maybe this is a bad idea. Um, like, what am I doing? Yeah, yeah. Like, literally, I would say the day I, the day I fully committed to this was the day I gave notice. Wow. Yeah, because th there was always doubt in the back of my mind of like, is this the right decision? Am I sure about this? Especially once like I decided to get, get married and plan a wedding, which is in New York City, which is extremely expensive. I was like, am I screwing myself? But yeah, so I think that's why you're seeing, you weren't seeing on February like, oh, you know, like I'm doing this. But I think I always had a feeling that I was gonna go through with it. You also mentioned you had these reasons why you felt that you had to still work or like had to still be involved in product. I'm wondering what were those had tos in your mind? I think a lot of it was just scarcity mindset, like financial anxiety and financial scarcity right. of like, oh, if I don't make any money, am I screwed? And the answer is no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I also like for a long time, I had been saving money for what I thought was going to be starting my own company. So I was very much like, oh, you know, I'm going to save for basically bootstrapping my own startup. Like, I don't know if I want to take venture funding and or at least not for a while. And so I want to have the flexibility and control. And it turns out that it wasn't necessarily starting a company. It was just, I guess, investing in myself. That is what the money ended up going towards. I was also scared of using it for that because for so long I was like, oh, but this is for something I need to do in the future. Like, what if something comes up? And what if I, you know, just, just, yeah, anxiety, I would say was a big part of it. I think the other thing subconsciously maybe was this fear of losing this identity of product manager for so long. It's what held like status, prestige, and also just what made me worthy in front of people. It was a quick way to just be like, yeah, I'm legit. Like, I'm someone that you should talk to. I'm someone that deserves respect, deserves your attention. And there was a part of me that felt uncomfortable losing that, I think, subconsciously. And even now, like, I'm like, do I introduce myself as a PM or that I'm in tech? 
or like what yeah so i'm 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 still figuring that part out but i think all of those things were true for me it's the what do you do question and you're like <laughs> uh lots of things yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially i think in new york city not even just in the states okay. but especially in new york city yeah because i think a lot of people in new york are chasing something it's very ambitious environment which is awesome it's awesome to be around that kind of energy but yeah it can be really isolating if you don't fit that mold by the way touch on what you said that you use the money to invest in yourself i think that's such a wonderful way of thinking about it right like yeah you don't have to invest your money into savings or even into a company like you can just literally invest in yourself to like in your own freedom and in your own time to develop yourself and it's like a really nice way of thinking. I don't know why I didn't think about it that way before, but that's also, yeah, yeah, I like that. Thank right. you. Yeah, appreciate it. Just one last thing, maybe on the sabbatical point, because you also wrote in your article about, I, I had the same reaction. I almost felt bad when I read your article because you were talking about taking a sabbatical. And my first reaction was like, oh my God, that's so brave to do it. It's so courageous to do it. <laughs> and then I read your post and I felt like you were calling me out personally because like, I'm sorry. I, I, the more I read you were like, and people keep calling me courageous and that's sad. And I was like, oh no, me too. Like, I also said that. Yeah. How did you combat that? Like, what was your reaction when people said to you like, oh, it's so courageous. I yeah. could never do that. Yeah. I think I have many reactions and also like there's so many people that I love and respect that have said that to me and I really don't hold it against them or anything it's it's more that um I think on the one hand it makes me feel better about my decision because it's a form of validation essentially when people say that so I'm like okay cool like I guess it's good I'm making this choice on the other hand it makes me sad that people don't think that they can do this and that is not to say that there aren't barriers to this. There's an immense amount of financial and just general privilege, right, to be able to say that I'm going to step away from work and it, this is just something I'm doing for myself. No matter like how good it is, like it, there is a lot of privilege involved in that. And I very much acknowledge that might not be true for a lot of people. And I'm very lucky that I have that. And that, that is a part that makes me sad, whether other people don't have access to the same privilege or if they do, they don't recognize it, which I think is sadder more so than anything. Like that part really gets me where it's like, I feel like you're just standing in your own way. And that's really what it comes down to. And I hope that people, either because of what I've written or there's tons of other creators I've met who are also writing about this, whatever ends up influencing or speaking to people i hope that it helps them reflect on which of those things is true like is it really that i don't have this privilege or is it because i have this privilege but there's something within me that's preventing me from being able to see it yeah i think i mean on, on my own journey just for context I, I think i've at that point where i've always had these like i think you, you said there's always it's always felt like there's been something missing or some uh, in, in the pathless path, it's described as like having a pebble in your shoe. Yeah, I, I thought that was really amazing. Uh, and you can sort of ignore it. It's fine. You can get on with the day. But it's still always there. Yeah. Like somehow you can't get the pebble out. And it re like, really, really struck me because I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe I have that too. Like I, I work in tech. I work nine to five. I know that there are other things which I might find more fulfilling in my free time. Like creative projects, like doing this podcast is something I want to do for a long time. Yeah. And at some point in the last six months, I was like, I'm just going to do it. Like, who cares? Whatever. Who cares what people think? I'm just going to do it. Like, why would I, why would I not do something I want to do in my life? Because it brings me joy and I enjoy it, right? Like, why would I not do this thing? I'm doing this, you know, after work and I'm, I'm like doing this calendar Tetris to fit in my creative projects and my side projects, the things that I'm like really, you know, passionate about, like writing and podcasting and, and creating and photography like like artistic stuff yeah where i'm like okay well these things definitely do bring me a lot of joy but somehow i don't know it's like something where i'm like yeah but i should also i should also still keep my job right i think i'm not the only one with that feeling and i'm wondering what would your advice be to people like me who maybe are still in that whirlpool of thoughts and anxieties and concerns i think my first question would be why like where's the should coming from 
Like if the should is coming from, I have XYZ responsibilities, I hear this, that I have kids, I have a mortgage, and it's just too much of a risk for the rest of my family if I go and do this. And then my question becomes like, that's fair. That is very, very real. But is it true that it's that much of a risk for them? <laughs> and, I, and I'm not saying this to be like, the answer is clearly no. The answer could be yes. And there are ways to lower or mitigate that risk. Or the answer could be yes. And actually, there really isn't a way to mitigate the risk. Or the answer is no. Like the answer, there could be so like there, you know, but it, I think it requires an exploration of where you fit on that spectrum. And also asking yourself, like, do you want to change that? Right. Because most of the time, like, there is a way, right? It's just about figuring out what that looks like. Um, and so that's where I would start is un unpacking the why of the sh behind the should and seeing if that why is like, how real is the why? And is there a way to change that situation in any way? So, like, as an example for me, I think a lot of the like financial anxiety issues I had, for me, I was only able to make them go away after hiring a financial advisor. And I really needed him to tell me that like, I'm not screwed for retirement if I spend this money on my sabbatical. I think I just really needed to hear someone who knows more about money tell me that because I don't trust myself when it comes to money. And once he told me that, I was like, okay, cool. So I think I can do this. And then I started gaining a little bit more confidence. But I think it requires deep thinking because sometimes, like for me, like I was so uncomfortable thinking about money that I would like avoid the topic. And so I think that's maybe where it, I think it becomes counterproductive is if you're avoiding it because you just can't even touch it. But I think once you start poking at it a little bit, then I think clarity will emerge. That's good advice. The financial advisor thing is really cool. I don't know why that never occurred to me. I, uh, for me as well, that's definitely part of it, right? It's this thing. Of, and I, I went through the same thing that you were describing in the beginning of like, I'm like almost negotiating with myself where I'm like, well, I could probably find a role where it's three days a week because then, you know, then somehow, you know, I'm still in the game. So yeah, it's almost like keeping one foot in just, you know, keeping the door open or something. I'm not sure yeah. what it is. And I think you'd be surprised that the door is more open than you realize. I guess what I mean by that is like, and I don't know, maybe with generative AI, this is all going to be nonsense in the next like 10 years. But <laughs> <laughs> my general thesis on the tech industry, uh, barring gen AI for a second, is that there is always going to be demand for good people. And I don't think that you need to think you're like the best you know, engineer or engineering manager or product manager in the world. But at the very least, like you have something, if you've done this role for enough time, that you're probably better at compared to most other people. And you probably know people who are going to do this for the rest of their life that probably trust you enough to do that. It might not look the same way that it does now. It might not be the same level of opportunities or scope that you have now. But if it's literally just about making a living that's probably possible more possible than not is my general thesis but i do know you know like now it's people think of me for opportunities a year or two from now that maybe not as much of the case in which case i'll have to do more work to to prove myself if i decide that that's the path i want to go back down on but it's not impossible and that's what keeps me going is like it's not like the probability is zero it's just I might have to work a little bit harder than I did two years ago to find a job. Also feels like you could probably rationalize it very easily with people like, let's say, for example, I, so I, I work as an engineering manager, right? Let's say I, like, I'm like, okay, whatever, I'm taking a, a year break. A year might sound like a lot, but honestly, it's not that much, right? Like coming back in a year and, and, and going to interviews and they're like, what did you do for a year? And I'm like, oh, I chilled, I relaxed, I, yeah. I got my passion back and I'm here and yeah. I'm like 100%. I actually figured out that I want this and therefore yeah. I'm fully in. Like that's not a bad thing. Like if they judged you negatively, then you just wouldn't want to work there anyway, right? Like right. why would you work for a company like that? Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that when I left my previous role and 
everyone was really under I, I was shocked I mean they were like still a little upset at me but I think generally because <laughs> I mean yeah it was kind of a pain in the ass to backfill people whenever they leave but generally everyone was really supportive which I was shocked by I really thought I was I don't know why but I thought something bad was going to happen and people were like I get it like you've been doing this for a while you want to try something else go figure it out cool and You're like oh okay thanks yeah yeah and I've left some companies on really not like poor terms but like not great terms either and things were still fine you know like life goes on and so yeah I think I think the other the other thing that I was going to add on this topic is one of the other reasons why I think people sometimes get stuck on the should I do this should I not do this question is actually something an article I read by Lawrence Yao I think is his name he runs this blog called more to that and he talks about how people sometimes when they're making these decisions they struggle with it because it's a lot easier to see the downside but it's a lot challenging to see the upside because the upside is so variable and also like hard to imagine right like so i think that also might help if if you're not sure or how to make this decision is asking yourself if you're focusing too much on the downside versus the upside and really giving yourself the space to imagine what the upside can look like and i think if that brings feelings of aliveness in the way that it did for me that's probably a signal that might make sense to move somewhat in that direction. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's like the idea of if you have a thing or you're in a situation because you're in it, it's somewhat tangible, right? Like you can yeah. see or feel the downsides, but you can't really imagine what you could have. It's kind of harder in a way. Yeah, exactly. Imagine what you could yeah. Have. I wanted to, it's not quite a segue. I think it's very related. You also mentioned it earlier about struggling with almost like with labels in a way or like saying who you are right like 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 this thing of like you go somewhere and uh, or like to an event or to a like networking event or a meetup anything and it's this thing of like oh what do you do how are you navigating that right now like what do you say i have not a good answer to this question <laughs> i really don't so the things i've tried is i've said i used to be in the tech industry and I'm taking a break to figure out what's next for me. That's the most common answer. And sometimes people will be like, oh, so like, what are you doing? Or what are you trying to get out of this time? And then I will kind of go through my, at this point, it's memorized of my three intentions of what I want to do in my sabbatical that I wrote in my blog post. And I just recite it word for word. Or if I'm feeling lazy, I'll just be like, oh, I'm doing some inner work and exploring uh, other career options. And that usually summarizes it pretty well. I'm actually going to a writing meetup later today. Substack is hosting like a meetup in New York City later tonight. And a friend and I are going. And I'm kind of curious. I haven't done this because I think I'm too scared to do it because I have a lot of imposter syndrome. But I think some people view this as like a challenge of I'm just going to pretend to be someone different every time I meet somebody. So I might say to one person I'm a screenwriter and I might say to someone else that I'm a like a newsletter person or a content creator and then to someone else I might be like oh I'm a novelist and just like change identities and, and see how it feels when I meet new people. So that's a little experiment I'm going to try tonight and see how it goes but Generally, I, I legitimately don't know how to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of reassuring in a way. It's reassuring. I mean, I hope that doesn't sound bad, but for me, it's in, in a way reassuring. Like, uh, that's a really cool idea. It's like trying on different like, hats or something. Like, uh, I yeah. Don't know, just being like, whatever, I'm this now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a professional golf player, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the other thing I will say to this, now that we're talking about this more, is I think it also, the answer might d depend depending on the person you're talking to because some people are genuinely trying to get to know you and they're asking this question because they're trying to see if there's anything in common that you could then connect with them on. And I think some people are asking this question because they're sizing you up. They're like, are you worth my time? Definitely. So I think if it's the former, I usually go into a lot more detail of what it is I'm doing and who I am. 
if it's the latter, then I don't know. Sometimes I, I feel the need to impress. So I'll take the most buzzy parts about my background and share it. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not even going to try. And I just give up. So it really depends on my mood, I think. It's cool to have the self-awareness. I thought about this recently because similar thing of like, okay, well, if I would try something else for a while, it's weird to even be like concerned about that. I wouldn't say I was massively concerned about it, but I did think what's stopping me from doing it. And I think part of it is pride for some reason. Mm. I think the way that I draw fulfillment from my job, or at least the reason I tell myself is the parts that I like doing are mentoring and coaching. I love coaching. I love mentoring. I love like supporting and helping people grow. Yeah. So I think that's for me, I attach those things to my job title. Like that's what that means to me. So like letting all that stuff go feels like, you know, there's definitely a pride element to like not, not being able to say that I do those things anymore. Yeah. The interesting experience I had recently was that I went to a conference with my partner who works in a completely different industry, uh-huh. in the care industry. And I guess it was the first time where I was at an event and someone there was like, what do you do? And I realized that for them, it, it doesn't matter at all. They don't care. Like if I'm like software engineering manager, they're just like, okay. Cool. I, I don't even know what that means. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't really, like it's, it's completely irrelevant, right? To, to me as a person and to most people other than myself. Like the pride is just somehow my own ego. Like yeah. it's somehow I can, I was like, maybe I should just pretend I'm always talking to people who aren't in my industry because that, that way I can get rid of the ego. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said about it being about the ego, I think is important because sometimes, to your point, it's more about me and the way that, at least I'm speaking now for myself, of like, I'm just used to being perceived a certain way. And I think that gives me a lot of validation and makes me feel like I'm worthy. And I would say the most unexpected part of the sabbatical has been letting go of that a little bit. Or trying to let go of that, I should say. I don't think I have quite let go of that. Because, yeah, like, it, it is different now. You know, like, when I meet people, it is harder for them, for, for me, to feel like I'm impressing them in the same way that I used to when I worked in tech. And I could be like, yeah, I'm a PM at Match Group. And that's all I needed to say. And then they'll be like, what's Match Group? And I'm like, well, it's the company that owns all the dating apps. They're like, oh my God, you work on a dating app? Let me tell you all my dating app stories. I'm like, cool. And so that's instant connection, (laughs) instant respect, instant, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think that the one thing I will say is that when it's, it's so cheesy, but like when a door closes and another door opens, I do think that's true. And now that I... In some ways, I do feel like this is an opportunity to like redefine myself. Like that sounds so dramatic, but it is kind of true. And it's like exciting. But I think the thing is by redefining myself, I have to let go of the fact that like the way that I will be perceived or the way in which I will connect with people might just be different in the way that I used to connect and see people before. And in some ways, it is now helping me be comfortable with the fact that I'm and accepting the fact that I'm still worthy and that I'm still capable of giving something, even if it's no longer the thing that I'm used to giving. That's a lovely way of thinking about it, honestly, I think. It's almost also like a deeper value in a way. I mean, when you talked about this idea of like, you say, I'm a PM, I work at such and such, and then like, I have the same thing where it's like, oh, that, oh, that company, oh, and then it's such a cheat code for like almost superficial conversation in a way. Yeah. And if you remove that layer, what do you, what do you have left? You actually have the stuff that's underneath, right? Like the deeper stuff in a way. Like you don't have this safeguard of like, oh, I do job at place. And then, oh, let's talk about that stuff. And it feels actually that you're skipping that layer and then therefore have to go to like a deeper layer where there's like more meaning. Yeah. It's more personal. And that's also, you have to be more vulnerable to be able to do that, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also helping me realize that I often use this PM identity as like a crutch in in some ways. And so it's helping me understand that I was a multidimensional person, but maybe there's ways in which I didn't feel like I had to be as more of a multidimensional person or didn't have to push myself as much. So in some ways, this is the part that when we're talking about earlier of sabbaticals, like it's unknown what you're going to get out of it. Like 
this conversation we're having right now and these realizations, I don't think I would have ever expected to be aware of this. And that's such a gift within of itself, even if it doesn't feel like a gift most of the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> feels kind of terrible. Um, it's still a gift. And yeah, and it's, you know, also helping me like realize that ah, like maybe there's other interests or passions that I can double down on or new things that I can pick up that might be a better way for me to introduce myself to people or not just for the sake of introducing myself, but more like it's pushing me to become a more holistic human being. And that is then reflected in the way that I present myself to the world. That's very cool. Something coming to my mind is also an expression which I really love from your writing. I hope you don't mind that we now quote yourself to, to oh, you. Oh, thank you. you said, such an honor. <laughs> I, I'm on a journey to create a blended career across the creative arts, tech, and business. I thought that was really, really cool. Like this expression, blended career, is it something you still feel like you identify with? Is that still your part of your goal? Yeah, very much so. I think it might not be across tech, business, and the creative arts. It might be two of those three things. But I definitely think that I'm interested in a blended career. There are some days when I question whether I should just be a full-time creative person, in which case I'm, I guess, a creative career is really all I'm shooting for at that point. And that's part of the exercise that I'm working through right now is like, do I really want to be a full-time creative or is there a value in, especially like over a longer period of time, like, you know, maybe for six months, I focus just on creative stuff. And that's really where the focus is. But I'm thinking more across the next decade or five or 10 years, do I just want to focus on one thing or really blend all these different things together? So I want to say that, yes, I think blended career is the right path, but I'm still figuring out if that's, that's true. What makes you question the creative path, like full-time creative? Oh my gosh, so many things. I think one is, it feels very out of my control, whether people, like, okay, so if I decide that the creative career I want to take on is a combination of content creation and, let's say, writing novels, if that helps me fund a living is very much outside of my control, right? It depends on if people resonate with my work. It depends if that right opportunities come to me, it depends if they keep resonating with my work, right? And I, of course, like there's things I can do to control that. Like I can work hard, I can improve my craft, I can put myself out there, take feedback, find mentorship. But so much of it is just random chance, right? Like even the blog post you saw, that that one, that was like the first time I've gone viral on anywhere. And that was so random. I was did not plan for that did not expect that and I don't know if that will ever happen to me ever again and I don't think I can count on that and I don't want to be the kind of creator that's like oh let me like growth hack my way into more like I just that's just not how my brain thinks and so that is something that holds me back is that it's very much outside of my control I think another part of it is like when you do something you love and suddenly your living depends on it and let's say you have a family and the survival of your family depends on it, I think it makes you take decisions that maybe don't fulfill you creatively or makes you take shortcuts and makes you have a different relationship with your creativity. And I don't know if I want to do that. And I think the third thing is like, part of me feels like is having a creative career just another way to fulfill my ego, to like prove myself that <laughs> this is something I can do. And look at me, like, I became a full-time author that won so-and-so I'm awards. a creative. Yeah, right? Is that another status signaling thing? I don't know. I go back and forth on that one. That one's probably like the lowest concern. I think the first two I'm, I'm more concerned about. The look part is also very interesting in a way because I also feel like maybe you do yourself a bit of a disservice as well because, I mean, I don't want to make you feel awkward. The, the writing is good. And I think the reason the, the, the content goes viral is because people resonate with what you're writing. And I have genuinely, I said it to a few friends, the, the replies came back like, damn, this is good. I'm like, yeah, I'm really excited to interview this. But like, and it's not like, you. <laughs> but, you know, so I think it's not also like all luck, right? It's putting stuff out there that you're proud of. And then it's genuinely good. And that's why people share it because it's like, damn, this is like something people identify with something there. 
Yeah. So no. is that luck? You know, is that part luck? I don't know. Yeah. No, no, I think you're right. But it, there's so many, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm like just saying this to protect myself, but I feel like there's so many talented people that, especially in music, right? They have one song, blows up the charts, everyone knows that song, and then they just kind of fade away into obscurity, <laughs> you know? They just never, right. like that never happens for them again. And like, you could argue that those are two very different scenarios, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I, same thing with movies or TV shows, right? They make one thing that people love and people know them for, and then they just kind of fade away. And I'm not saying that like that's guaranteed to happen, but I think that I think I'm in a place where I really don't want, I, I know that having some level of like audience is important to me. Like having my work be seen and felt and experienced is important to me by a certain like I don't I don't need like millions of impressions. I don't need millions of views or you know whatever. Like, but I think some few hundred thousand people believing in my work and connecting with my work. I think that is what I would want for my creativity, and less so for like maybe a little bit of like validation fulfillment, but. I think for me, it's also more about like when I was young and I, I, I think you, you mentioned this when we were talking earlier, but like I moved around a lot. I lived in Saudi Arabia, New Zealand, a lot of different parts of the States, was born in India and I was very lonely. I did not have a lot of friends. I was often like the only person of color or Indian kid in my class and even in the States. And that made it really hard for me to belong and belong not just from the form of fitting in but really being myself like and authentically showing up as myself and books movies tv shows were like the only things that I had where I feel like I could really understand people and in that way understand myself and I think that's why I'm interested in writing because I want other people to have that experience that I had because I genuinely believed it saved my life and my sanity and I think for that like I do need some kind of audience and that's why I also feel like if that's really my goal, like, do I really need to make a living out of it? Yeah. So I don't know. It's like I go back and forth. Maybe some of it is also like protecting myself. Like, I don't want to fail. And so if I set goals that are in my control, then I can't fail. Yeah. So it's it's messy. <laughs> it's messy. Yeah. I'd be curious to even understand, like, what even is failure in that context? Like, what is failure for creative work? Is it no one looking at it or what even is it? Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a good question. I think that I don't know if that's so much about a work, but I think if I had a career like like my creative career, let's say I wrote like, I don't know, 500 blog posts. Let's say I wrote two books and let's say I wrote like three screenplays. That was the entire span of my creative career. And if no one resonated with anything that I wrote, I would feel like kind of a failure. Like that that would impact me. And then I would feel like, okay, like maybe time to pivot into something else and spend my time doing something else. But I also think of the scenario where I wrote something, maybe no one resonated with it, but I felt like it captured some kind of emotional truth or I felt like it helped me understand something about myself that I really feel like if I just lived life, I wouldn't be able to understand, then maybe that's somewhere in the middle of like, okay, it's not a total failure, but it's not success either. It's like in this like weird gray state. But I think if it failed to do either of those things, then yeah, I would say it's a failure. That's really interesting. It's something I've grappled with a lot with creative projects. Like, should I care if anyone reads this or listens to this? Or am I doing it just for me? Am I doing it because of the ego? Like, what am I actually, what is, like, do I need to redefine the success criteria for this? Am I just doing it to fulfill my own need? And that's also completely valid and fine. Or do I actually want that people respond to it and listen to it and resonate with it or learn something from it? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard. <laughs> it is hard. But you know what I will say is that I used to say a lot, like, oh, I'm writing for myself and blah, blah, blah. And that was not totally true. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think, yes, I was writing for myself, but I also did want to connect with people through my writing. And 
I think once I stopped fighting myself on that and was like, yeah, this is the goal. This is part of the intention. It just became a lot easier. But then you also have to be comfortable with the fact that maybe that doesn't happen. And despite all your efforts and everything, maybe that just doesn't. And at least that's where I'm at, where I'm like, okay, that's my intention. But I also have to be comfortable knowing that it might not materialize. And that's okay. And I just have to be comfortable with that. I, again, feel like you're speaking directly to my soul because I've, I, I have blog posts live where I'm like, this is just for me. I'm just writing for me. And on some level, it's true. But the happiest, I think the most fulfilling moments are just getting a single comment where it's like, oh, that like point number three, that's so cool. I never read that before. I never thought about it that way. And like that makes me feel so good compared to like no one ever hitting the like button or no one ever replying and saying, oh, this is cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I have to admit it. Like on some level, it's not just for me. Like on some level, I want some kind of validation, like someone to tell me that they read it and liked it. Yeah. And it helped them. Yeah. yeah. One one other thing that's interesting is I've realized that like, I actually care less about the number of likes and I care more about people commenting. Like that always means so much more to me than just a like, even if I have a lot more likes than I have comments, which usually tends to be the case because it's easier to like things and comment on them. And I actually think that's a really positive sign because I think the one other thing that I'm personally wary of is, and I'm not saying this from a judgmental place, but I do, I'm hesitant about creativity that's very much metrics focused of like, oh, I need X number of followers or I need X number of likes or I need X number of retweets, like the growth hacky type stuff. Like I just, I'll, I'll vibe with that. So the fact that the type of validation I like is the one that makes me feel connected to people rather than like boosting a part of my ego that's there. But also, I don't know if I really want to boost that part of my ego. That makes me feel better about wanting an audience because the want is based on connection and less so in terms of like vanity metrics sometimes. And now my inner product manager is coming out. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I think that so also when I started my newsletter, I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll keep track over time of like how many people are following. Probably I should also set up a few social channels and like take snippets and put them on there. And honestly, I already stopped with, for example, Instagram. I don't like Instagram. I don't like using it. Yeah. So I don't know why I even, I don't know why I even did it. Like I was like, oh, but I need to do it. I'll set up an Instagram. And like every time I post, I'll just take a snippet and I'll put it on Instagram. Because over time, I'll probably build up some a couple of followers. Maybe then that yeah. will that will then like get like you know organic growth and blah blah blah. And after like I don't know the first month of writing, I'm like this. I I don't look forward to this. Why have I made this into another job? The whole point of yeah. this was to do creative stuff. Why am I making a job for myself? Like I'm just gonna delete it. Like this doesn't bring me any validation or any. Yeah. Joy. Yeah. Just why am I doing this for a number? It's it's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had the same experience where I'm exploring, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing it, but I am exploring video content. So I, nice. yeah, so I'm like filmed my first YouTube video and I'm in the process of editing it. And I remember feeling a little bit of pressure to also do TikTok and Instagram and shorts. And I just, I am not on TikTok. I think that's like a controversial thing to say is like a, you know, 20 something person, but like, I just don't mess with it. I think it's too addictive. I, yeah. Anyways. Um, Same. yeah, yeah. I just like, I don't. And Instagram, I have a love hate relationship with and YouTube shorts is fine, but I don't really use it that much. I really like long form content. That's where I feel like I shine and what I enjoy watching. And similar to you, I had this pressure of like, oh, but it's good for growth and you get discovered and blah, blah, blah. And I had to be like, you know what? Maybe TikTok just isn't for me. And that's fine. It's kind of freeing in a way to be like, I'm just not going to do that. Maybe I'll do it in the future, but I'm just not going to do, do it. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where like being honest with yourself can be really helpful and being like, okay, this is what I would like. This is what's in my control. This is what's outside of my control. This is what I'm willing to put up with it. And this is what I'm not willing to put up with in order to get there. And for you, it's like, you don't want to be on Instagram. I think that's reasonable. I think you can also switch your Instagram with most social media, but 
Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it just feels so horrible most of the time. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. Just giving yourself also that permission to say, actually, it's fine. I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. So on this point, I'm trying to segue a bit to coaching because the other reason personally why I was also thinking of, oh, I have to have people, I have to have some audience somewhere. It's because I'm also really interested in coaching. And I'm mentioning this because I I saw that you're also doing coaching or you have been giving coaching. I'm not sure. Do you, are you still uh, yes. like coaching? Cool. Okay. So yeah, I feel like that's the other part of it. It's like if you do want to have your own business or you do want to like put yourself out there as a coach, it's like, okay, helping people is amazing. Coaching people is amazing. But you still have to find people who are who would like to pay you for your services. And if you don't build up a following, then how are you going to do that? And that's like for me also like in this internal battle, like, yeah. Like promoting yourself and also giving the value by doing the work. I don't know how you personally balance those two things. I think that, so one thing to know about me is that I'm not, right now, this could very well change in the next three to six months, but right now the coaching is not a real business. It's more of a side hustle. And so the way I started it was I just went through people I knew. I actually didn't do any marketing around it for lots of reasons. Like, I, I don't think I've made a single post on LinkedIn that's like, hey, I'm a coach, hire me. I've just gone through my net people I know. Like, I made a list of 50 people because I'm mostly focused on product people. I was like, hey, do you know someone who could use this? Here is what I'm offering. And posted in a bunch of, like, Slack groups and Facebook groups. And that's how I got my first set of clients. And, like, on Practica, which is, like, a coaching platform, and that's how I got my first set of clients. And then it's been like, then this Substack post happened to get some attention. And that's gotten me a little bit of like visibility on LinkedIn. And that's been the other thing that's kind of driven people to me. But when I started the Substack, I did have this thought because I was starting the coaching thing at the same time of like, oh, like, am I doing the Substack for the coaching business? And that was like a thought, but I was never like, oh, yeah, like these two things are definitely connected. I was like, I'm interested in writing about this. I'm going to keep writing about this. And I'm also interested in coaching. But I kind of treated them as separate things in my mind. And like if one thing happened to help the other thing, then like, cool. And there were like small ways in which I kind of connected them. Like I end my post with saying like, I'm a coach. If you want to work with me, you can. But I wasn't like super, super, super intentional about it in the way that I think a lot of people are. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because I think if I was treating this as like a full-time business and it had like real revenue targets, I think I would probably change my approach and be a little bit more formal about the relationship between these two things. But I think because I am not at that stage right now, I am just kind of messing around, I think, and just like seeing what happens and, and kind of going with, with it from there that's quite freeing in a way just like you know what i'm just gonna do what i like i'm just gonna try it out yeah but i do think at some point there will be like i'll have to make a decision of like because at some point the money is gonna run out and i will have to go find a way to make money and i will have to figure out what that looks like whether that is a formal job in tech or in a different industry or through building like a real coaching business and at that point, I think I'll have to formalize and really think from a marketing lens. But I think the one thing that I'm taking some comfort in is that I don't have to do what everyone else is doing. Like I could still choose to grow this business in the way that I want to because I feel like I got started in a way that I wanted to, right? Like I just went through my network and, you know, got a few people to say yes, which I mean, it took like, 30 meetings but like <laughs> eventually like <laughs> someone said yes and I was like thank you I appreciate you believing in me so I think I am taking comfort in that of like you know if if like I don't think I'll ever be that kind of coach like you know there's these coaches on Instagram they like posting content every day they charge like ten thousand dollars for you to work with like I just know I don't want to be that kind of coach 100 percent and I know that there is a certain level of like financial accessibility I want people to have with my coaching. And maybe that means that I might also have to freelance in addition to coaching because the income stream is very volatile or I might have to turn on paid subscriptions for Substack. Like I think I will have to invest in something other than coaching in order to not go down this route of like 
charging absurd amounts of money and having an insane social media presence. But I'm I, I'm comfortable with that choice. And so I think it I, I feel like I sound like an after school commercial, but like I think it really <laughs> I think it really is about like intentionality of like what it is that how you want to grow and build your business because I think that also attracts the kind of people that you want to work with. That's really cool. I mean, it's authenticity, right? You're just being authentic. And yeah, you're not like, as you said, one of those people on Instagram posting every day, like kind of like recycling the same kind of stuff yeah. every, every day, this kind of like very cheesy content that comes across as like, I'm like, who buys this stuff? Like it all comes across as very fake. Yeah. And yeah. For and the algorithm. Yeah. And to be fair, like, I think those people still do good work. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. If that's a style that feels natural to you and that you feel like you're helping people with, I think that's totally fine. I think it's just, I know for me, that's not really what I want to do. I also, yeah, I also should not critique these people. I, I also had it described to me by a friend in a way of, he was like, yeah, but look at it from the angle of like YouTube, for example. Like there's a lot of really, really good content. But the, the titles are clickbait to get the click. But once you click on it, the content itself is like really, really good. Yeah. But you wouldn't click on it without the clickbait. Yeah. But he was saying like, yeah, well, you have to sort of play the game a bit, you know. Like yeah. If you want to get people, if you want to help people and you want to get good clients or whatever, you might have to do a little bit of the cheesy yes. marketing just to get them to see you. Yes. And then you can help them, you know. Yes. A hundred percent. But I think you get to be in control of how much shitty marketing you want to yeah. do. Yeah. Shitty marketing. It's a good phrase. Yeah, yeah. It's like the shitty marketing ratio. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, shitty is also relative. Like you define what that yeah. means. But yeah, I think if if you're like, yeah, I just like I can't bring myself to do this. Then yeah, don't do it. But yeah, you might have to like, I don't know, like in this podcast, like you might have to have a link to your coaching page if if that's like you know a path you decide to pursue. That's that's marketing, but you're comfortable with that marketing, right? I think that's great. I think you should totally do that. I've seen the same thing with podcasts, by the way, where it's like, most health expert gives you the best tips ever. And then you click it and it's a really lovely, long form, very thoughtful interview. And it's like, I can't reconcile this title <laughs> with this content. Like, why did they do it? I mean, I know why they did it, but it just feels like a shame that they had to yeah. present it in that way. Like this kind of like shitty wrapping around this very good content. Content, yeah. Yeah. If you follow like Paul Millard, I think he is a good example of like yeah. growth on your own terms. Sometimes I, I like read his tweets and I'm like, damn, this guy is like, I don't know if I would have said no to like a big five publisher wanting to publish my book. I get why he did, but I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. So, Same. so yeah. So it's cool to have those examples as well. Yeah. Shout out to Paul Millard. If yeah. I can somehow ever get him on this podcast, that would be amazing. <laughs> so I have two questions. Uh -huh. One, if you have, actually, I'm going to say as many book recommendations as you want, because yeah. I know that you're a big reader. Yeah. But if you have like, I don't know, five books that you'd love to, to share with the world. Yeah. So I can't pick one. So I picked a few. And I'm going to caveat each of these recommendations based on what it helped me with or what I took away from it or who I think this recommendation is best for. If you're looking for spirituality or if you're looking for um, a really poetic but also very deep and, yeah, spiritual book, I would say the Bhagavad Gita. It is a book I recently read. My mom has been trying to get me to read it for ages and I finally read it and I was like, damn, can't believe that this was written God knows how many years ago, still very applicable and also just very poetic and very modern in the, its thinking. So shout out to Bhagavad Gita. Read it if you haven't. And <laughs> I would say if you are someone who is interested in more classic literature, one of my favorite books and one of the books that has probably had the most impact on me and writer who has had the most impact on me is J.D. Salinger. And I love his book, Catcher in the Rye. Holden Caulfield, such an iconic protagonist. And I, yeah, I think it was the first time that I questioned adults because I'd always grown up like adults just know best and adults are authority and 
I'm like a dumb teenager. And then I read the book and I was like, hmm, am I though? And <laughs> are adults They smart? don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just love that book. Um, love the voice. But yeah, anyways, I won't, I won't fangirl over J.D. Salinger much longer. And then another book that another writer who's had a big impact on me is Jhumpa Lahiri. She's an Indian-American author. It's very, very popular and mainstream. But one of her books that is maybe not as mainstream is a book called In Other Words. And she talks about learning Italian, which is a language she just wanted to learn. And she ends up talking about how learning a new language helped her understand these like deeper questions about belonging and identity and just human nature because of the way Italian is structured as a language. And she talks about like writing a short story in Italian. Um, and the short story is actually part of the book that she couldn't imagine really like writing in English. It's almost like your brain just thinks and works differently in a different language, which I think is really interesting. So I think that's a really cool book. Uh, it's like kind of a memoir, basically. And then there's a book that's very overhyped, but I think it's totally worth the hype. If you're looking for something more modern, came out like two years ago. It's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And I think it does a really good job, especially if you work in tech. I think it does a really good job of capturing, it's like about two game designers, of capturing the dynamics of youth, creation, belonging. I think some interesting gender dynamics of working in tech or entrepreneurship or whatnot. And so, uh, yeah, it's really, really, really well-written. So those would be my recommendations. Nice. I, I was really happy when I, I saw Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow on the list. I'm currently reading it. I think I'm at like 70% or something. I nice. was like, yes, it's a great book. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for sharing. And the last thing, I'm doing this as well with every guest. Say people got to the end of this episode and you want them to take one key thing away with them, either like, something you want them to think about, just like a point you want to make, what would be the one thing? I really struggle with this question because I feel like everything I say just sounds like an after-school commercial or like <laughs> something you read on like a bumper sticker or something. But I would say one of my biggest lessons that I feel like I've had to recently confront is I spent a lot of my life avoiding my feelings and I felt like I had to just do that to survive and one of my biggest realization and I also think the corporate world kind of encourages this which is like a whole other topic of conversation but one of the biggest things that I've experienced in the sabbatical is realizing that feelings are signals those signals aren't always accurate but they always have something meaningful to say and avoiding feelings just means those signals will come at you in a way that maybe is not productive in the future so my biggest takeaway is like, feel your feelings. And I think that extends to the sabbatical thing we talked about. I think that extends to the growth of your coaching business thing that we talked about. I think that extends to the identity labels related stuff that we talked about. And I think accepting how you feel is, I think, life's work, but it can be really transformational in terms of leading a more fulfilling, intentional life. At least it has been for me. So, Awesome. Feel your feelings. Yes. Do it. Not like it's so easy. No, I'm kidding. Like, that was, that was, <laughs> that was a little too harsh. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, thank oh, you. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's, it's definitely hard, and it's a life's work, and requires lots of reflection and therapy and healing and, and all of that. So I, I don't mean to say that to make light of the, the journey, but... I think the more you can, the more I feel like I've been able to do it, the greater dividends it's paid. So, no, I think it's great. I think it's also it's the intention, you know, yeah. like already having the intention to actually or telling yourself I'm actually going to do this, like having the awareness to notice when you're not doing it is also again easier said than done. But I think that's lovely. Yeah. Stop fighting your feelings. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, again, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed this. Me too. Yeah. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, 
please consider leaving us a review or let me know by email mike at imperfect.club i love getting your emails i also love to see reviews it really helps me to see that people are getting value from this show so thanks so much to those people who have reached out i really really appreciate it thanks again to namrata for coming on the show please go show her some love check out the next chapter that's for namrata's Substack. her writing is amazing and i really really recommend going to check that out you can also check out my newsletter newsletter.imperfect.club and if you want to get all of the resources from today's episode check the show notes or go to imperfect.club for all the information including links to all of the amazing books that Vinamrita mentioned at the end of this episode and that's all there is to say for today's episode so see you soon